Jake Siegel has leveraged his industry experience to start two companies, where one was acquired by Ford. He believes in the concept that success brings success, which can also be applied to seeing progress through achieving your set goals. Jake believes solutions always exist to the most complex problems and has developed a system to break through any barrier by playing the so what game. Let's find out how. All right, today we have a wonderful guest with us, Jake Siegel, who is an entrepreneur and an advisor to many technical companies. Um, he's had the opportunity of even getting one of his companies acquired by a very, very large auto manufacturer. So I want to kick it off and ask Jake, who exactly is Jake Siegel? Let our listeners know who you are. Hi, Sean. Thanks so much for having me on the show, and, and thanks, everybody, for listening in. So just a little bit about me. I'm a third-generation entrepreneur, and I believe in technology. I believe in making the world a better place. I believe in, in what we call One Detroit in the southeastern Michigan area. So uh, my, my background has primarily been in product development and, and creating better experiences. But over the course of my career, I've, I've transitioned quite a bit from pure product and pure business into really trying to help people and help people get further in their careers. So I, I'm most proud of recently the, the amount of volunteering and the amount of advocacy work I've been able to do. Obviously, I'm still a, an entrepreneur and need to run a for-profit business, but ultimately, I like helping people, and that's, uh, that's the one thing you get to take with you is uh, good stories and a good reputation. Great. No, love the fact that you're always looking to, to help others. So I know you studied engineering in college and after college, did you just dive right into entrepreneurship? Did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Like what's that path from, from college to your working life to now where you are today? Well, my path is a little bit different than most. I, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I'm a third generation entrepreneur. I was hustling in high school and in college and creating side businesses and always coming up with, with some way to make money. And that's, that's something I've always been excited about. Uh, however, coming from a technical background, you, you can't hustle your way through an engineering degree or any sort of a science degree, at least you shouldn't be able to. So I knew that to be successful in technology, I needed to have a solid foundation. So I have a master's degree in industrial and systems engineering from Ohio University. And what I've been able to do with that is leverage that into a business career where I was using a lot of what I've learned in school, not just from a science perspective, but also from a process perspective, spent a number of years working in industry before I took the full plunge. So while I was doing a lot of entrepreneurial things, earlier in my career, I needed to, to sit on the bench and, and put my time in. And that really helped me out. I was able to learn from a lot of other people's mistakes and make my own mistakes on someone else's dime while I was an employee. And when the timing was right, I, I made the move. And that's though that may not be the path for all the listeners out there, uh, there's nothing wrong, of course, with going right out of college or even high school into your own venture. It's just um, 
the, the amount of success or the probability of success at a macro level of people that don't have industry experience is a fraction of, of people that have that, that apprenticeship or that industry experience to leverage and when they go over. And if nothing else, just being able to, to learn from other people's mistakes is a, is a big value going into it. So I, I certainly went that path and the most famous entrepreneurs in the United States, even outside of our generation, they took a different path, but there's far more failures that are out there that you don't hear about from people that kind of make that move. So um, while, I, while I like to take bets, I, I wanted to make sure that I had a solid foundation underneath me before I, I made my first plunge and obviously it worked out really well for everybody on the team. So from that solid foundation and the experience in working in the industry, what are, what are some things you can share with the listeners that you were able to pick up. Um, I know you mentioned that you were able to to learn on someone else's dime, but what are some of those hard skill sets, soft skill sets that, or, or just even learning about business that that you can share with our listeners? Well, I think the the biggest thing for for people that are earlier in the career is is how to do internal sales. So I think that if you're an entrepreneur you know how to sell. I mean, you, you are a natural salesperson and, and you know how to get out there and, and talk about the, the benefit of your service or product. What you don't know at, right at being you know, a young, young uh, professional is how to sell internally. Selling is beyond just the client or customer. Selling happens from the moment you walk in the door. You, you need to sell your team. You have to sell yourself on, on some of the actions for the day. So being able to spend some quality time working in a team environment and understanding within your industry what sort of risks you need to take and selling people to push push the boundaries a little bit further. Now, if you're working at a very large uh, Fortune 500 company, actually nowadays there is some more innovation in those companies than there were for 10 years ago, but it's a significantly different space than if you're working in a mid-sized business with under 200 employees for the ability to take risk and make significant change within your organization. But either way, regardless of what size you're working at, having that ability to sell internally and to understand how to uh, two ears, one mouth, listen twice, talk once, just being able to convince people that the way that you want to do things is going to be a worthwhile, ideal, worthwhile venture to move forward. So there's a lot of just experience that you need to pick up. And certainly, I picked up a ton when I started my first company, even after having the corporate experience. But I would just tell for anyone that's looking at going into their own business, whether it's a lifestyle business or a venture-backed tech company, or really anything between from a, from a revenue perspective, that just understanding how to sell internally and understanding how to sell to get people to join your team, join your mission, selling people, sometimes you're selling people on the problem itself. And especially in tech, you're not just selling your solution. You're, you're trying to sell that the problem you're, you're addressing is a large enough problem and one worth paying to solve. So there's a lot of these types of um, communication and sales tactics that happen. And it's something that, I mean, it's really expensive to, to do it right out of the gate without having a industry experience to back you up and, and have that, that credibility going into a meeting. No, that's great. Great insight. Um, you mentioned something that was that was profound where you, you, you said push the boundaries. And I and from what we're doing with My Dream Big Club, it's around being able to pursue 
big dreams, right? Which means that you're going to get outside that comfort zone and be able to push the limit and what things that you can do. Um, what are some ways that you challenge yourself to make sure that you're being innovative, that you're able to push the boundaries and to excel in, in ways far beyond uh, your imagination? One, uh, one way that, that I like, and this came from a, a woman that worked with us at Livio, uh, Nicole Yellen, she's totally awesome, absolute rock star. She, she calls it the so what game. And when you run into a problem, you say so what? And then you answer that and you say so what again? You say so what again and so what again until you get down to the root cause. And by doing that, it, it really can unblock a lot of issues that prevent you from moving into a goal and into a dream. And dreams aren't, aren't acquired overnight. And in, in understanding that, in our opinion, that, that goals are required. And when you add all your goals together, you move to- towards that dream and towards that ideal that you're looking to, to move towards. So in other words, you, you would say, uh, like everyone, you know, for example, you might want to talk about, I want to go run a marathon. You don't just, you know, obviously don't walk out the door and, and go run a marathon. You have to work up to that and then have specific goals that get you up to that dream, to that ultimate goal or that that vision that you have. So the so what game we found, and I, I still use this, and this is, I mean, Nicole brought it in almost 10 years ago, and we still, we still go through this. And a lot of times you can get sucked down almost like a wet blanket with reasons why something won't work or can't work, or uh, sometimes they're excuses, sometimes they're reasons, but at the end of the day, if it's something that's blocking your dream and your goal, it doesn't matter. So if you feel like you're pinned in a corner then try the so what game and really get down to root cause. And what I found is if you take a problem or you take a wall and you take it apart brick by brick, you can get through that wall or over that wall. And if you can't find a way, you got to make a way. And that's, that's really what makes entrepreneurs entrepreneurs is the ability to not see a wall, but see a bunch of bricks. And by playing the so what game, you can break those down into manageable pieces to, to get through your obstacles. So I wonder with, with your your team and, and the employees that's working with you, if they ever, do they bring problems to you or are they always like, you know, he's just going to say, so what? Or are they already just ingrained to know that, hey, you know, figure this out, um, that there's no barrier too high for us to, to, to overcome? Or is it is that something that they've learned to do? It's part of the culture. So some of them come in uh, with that sort of an attitude and style and, and some don't. And, and to be clear, I, I'm a big believer you need to have different people with different backgrounds in your organization. You probably don't want your CFO being super uh, gung-ho and, and pushing the boundaries. At the same time, you definitely don't want an over-conservative product manager or product marketing manager. So there is need to be a balance within the organization. With that being said, one of the ways that we handle this at Tome, our, our new company based in Royal Oak, Michigan, is we have a brick that we got made on Etsy that has our, our Tome Owl logo put in. It said it says fail brick uh, etched into the this actual brick. And the brick is a badge of honor. And on our staff meeting every month, we go around and we talk about who had the biggest failures of the month and what did you learn? How did you push it? And we celebrate these failures and the failures and, and taking the bricks out of the wall to get through something you have to fail in order to succeed when you oh, want to I be innovative. That. Now, that's that's a big part of what we do. We also give out a sticker, so whoever had the best failure of the month gets a sticker for the laptop and the small prize. And 
we celebrate it. And I, I, I've had a few months where it's, I mean, like in anything, it's, it's going to be um, ebb and flow where there were one or two failures that were discussed and that's it. And I come down pretty hard on the team is that, you know, we need to be pushing things. And if we're, if we become complacent, then we're not going to be any better than anyone else in town. And especially the, the, the goal is being the best and operating at your personal best. So even though we may not be the best in the world, though I like to think that we are, knowing that you're offering your best and you're 100%, that's what's really important. And you can't do that without failing. It's just, it's just a fact. And then I, you know, I, I think if you ask anyone that's successful in business, what things have you learned along the way? Some people may not be as abrupt as to use the word failure, but lessons learned or there's softer terms that you can use in a larger corporation, but it's all the same thing. It's, it's really semantics around being able to take a problem, find your way to try some things that may not work, but use them as a way to find another solution out of the process. So while you were in the industry and you started your, your first company, Livio, um, what what, were you entrepreneur while you were still in industry and always knowing that I know you're third generation entrepreneur, but you knew that was the path you were going to take. And, and also, what exactly did, did Livio do? Um, and what was the, you know, the product behind the music and then what were you guys going for? Right. Well, so I used to work in the professional DJ equipment industry as a product manager. And while I was working, and this was in Providence, Rhode Island, when we were working up in Rhode Island, we started a company within the company. So my first entrepreneurial professional, I say professional entrepreneurial endeavor, was starting a company within a company. When we did this, we had to push the boundaries within the four walls of the corporation. After that, I ended up coming to Detroit for a job working as a product manager for XM Satellite Radio within their consumer electronics division. And when XM and Sirius Satellite Radio merged in 2008, that was when we knew the writing was on the wall for that business, and it was a great jump-off point. So starting Livio, out of our exit at Delphi, the first product that we worked on was a desktop radio for Pandora. Now, at the time, Pandora was decently well-known, but on the ropes. In fact, their CEO and founder, Tim Westergren, emailed out all the Pandora users and said, we're going out of business. If the, the RIAA rates aren't changed, the rates that the musicians get paid by per song play, we need help, write your congressman. I mean, it was, it was a pretty dark time, and, and this was also the beginning, and we didn't know it at that time, the beginning of the, the Great Recession. So I, I started a business at what many people would feel like would be the worst time in the last 30 years of our country. I look at it as the best time, because while I was going out and being innovative, companies like Sony and Logitech and um, uh, Bose, I mean, ma massive speaker companies, and, and remind, this is before iPhone just came out, but you weren't streaming music on iPhone. There were no Android phones. So to get access to, to internet radio, as we called it back then, you had to have it on a laptop or a speaker. It, it wasn't streamed hmm. through your phone back then. So we started uh, off with a, an idea to create a, a magical music box called the, the Pandora Radio uh, by Livio that would be in people's homes and give them access to millions of songs and and help people, whether they're from grandparents to grandkids, and kind of the rest is history. I mean, we sold millions of dollars worth of product uh, for the first few years and sold it in big box retailers and 
um, kind of kind of went from there. Uh, the, the last piece of this was as we became more innovative and entrepreneurial, we learned that people were using mobile phones for media. And this would have been 2010. And it was at that point when we said, you know, people are going to be using their phones to listen to music. Now, this sounds kind of weird, but at the time, the auto companies were, were writing software applications and still focusing on satellite radio. So they weren't expecting all of us to plug our phones in the cars. But if you looked in the aftermarket, what they called the 12-volt world, people were using the aux and jack, so the headphone cable, to plug in phones. So we had this idea at the time of, well, let's just find a way to get the apps on your phones to work with the apps in your car on, on the car screen. And that's really where Livia took off and ended up leading to our Ford acquisition. So the point of this is that we were focused on an experience and on solving a problem of giving people awesome audio, giving them music they love to have that driving experience and to have that experience in their living room. And we never, we never swayed from that. The technology changed. But we stayed up on it and took some bets, and obviously it paid off. So we had to make a lot of guesses along the way and a lot of failed products along the way. But ultimately, it led to our, our biggest success and part of uh, part of the process that we still use today with our new company, It's Home Software. Perfect. So you started in 2008. It was acquired in 2013. What is something that you would advise to – I know you're, you're VC-backed. Like how do you how do you get from the start to the to the acquisition? Um, what's what's what does that look like? You know, it's, a, it's such a difficult question shown to bring up from a, from a start point to an acquisition, and it changes too based on what industry you're in. I think that success breeds success, and the way that you're going to be successful with getting investors' money is showing that you have customer success. You're running a business, showing that you have the orders. When you have orders from customers, whether, whether you're a B2B or a B2C company, when you can show that you have orders and people are willing to pay you for the problem you solve, whether it be with a service or a product, that's when you're able to take other people's money to scale it. There are some exceptions to this. So, you know, if, for any of the PhD scientists that may be listening in, yes, if you're, if you're spinning out technology from university on an university transfer and you're going to a a large, you know, fintech or a, or a medtech type biotech company, sure, that, yes. I mean, I'm not belittling that at all. But I think that for the majority of companies, you have to show traction. And there's the three T's that, that the investment bankers talk about that are why companies become acquired. There's team, technology, and traction. And what I learned in my new company, uh, which I, I guess is common sense, but just not something that's top of mind in my first company, is that those same three T's are a core guidance of how you're doing as a business, even if you're not trying to be acquired and with our new business, but we're not, frankly. So understanding that you've got the right team in place, they believe in your mission, they, they want to learn, they want to be around people smarter than themselves, and they're there for the right reasons, and you're supporting that culture, including things like creating an environment for learning, creating an environment where you can allow people to be the best and grow professionally and individually, that's your team. Your technology, that's really important. And even for a lifestyle business, the technology could also be the service you're providing or what's your, your unique advantage or why do people come to you as opposed to coming to the other company. And the last part is traction is, you know, what do your sales look like? What's your, what's your average uh, churn rate for a client? You know, what are some of those uh, key performance indicators that, that make you guys tick? And if you can go in with the three T's, 
to any customer, client, or investor, you're going to win. And that's and eventually that's what leads to an acquisition. But if you can't come up with those three T's, then you probably should keep hustling until you can uh, until you find the right mix for yourself. And where are three, the three T's again? Your team, your technology, and your traction. Team, technology, and traction. So I want to play the so what game with you. Um, a little bit of a, of, of, a, of a twist to it. So I know a, a lot of people are, they're, they're truly passionate about following a vision or things that they like to do. They have a dream, but they, you know, as human beings, it's very easy to, to succumb to various reasons why we can't do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some of the things that um, one would say about why they can't whether to start a business or, or follow their passion or, or to, to climb up to that next level within the corporate game. So what do you say to this? And these are supposed to be very, very quick responses, Jake. I'm looking for like 30 seconds. Um, someone that comes sure. up to you and says, hey, uh, you know, I want to do this. I don't have enough time. I'm too busy. Well, if you really want to do this, you have to make sacrifices and you have to, you have to decide – what the opportunity costs and at what cost and what level do you want to do this? Because if you're saying you want to do something, but you're not willing to put the work in to do it, then I would just ask, how much do you really want to do this? Okay. What about the one that says, okay, I want to do it. I don't have the money or it's hard for me to, to really focus on this because I need the steady income. Well, I think that depending on what they're looking to do. And again, there's, I got, I talked earlier about goals versus dreams. So if you have a dream to do something, you gotta you gotta unpack that down to specific steps and specific goals to go acquire that dream. So if your dream is to go run a marathon and you've never run a day in your life, you probably need to first block out some time to start training and start having that available. And then you have to go actually try this, and then you have to go pick up a plan, and you have to you know break that down. So when someone says that they don't have the money to do something or they don't have the time to do something, I, I always come back to that start shadowing, start mentoring, start talking to people that have been successful and find ways that you can make time. And if you can't find a way, you have to make a way. Otherwise, you really just want the benefits of the goal, but you don't want to do the work. And entrepreneurs love the work. They love the journey. That's what makes entrepreneurship great. It's not the end game. Love it. And the last one I have is I have been able to attack or, or follow this vision but I, I just can't find the right people. It's, it's too hard to find the right people, or, or they're not doing what I, I'm telling them to do. So, well, uh, I always like to say that you, you work with the team, not, not for a team. And uh, when, when people talk about what groups they're rolling in, I, I always refer back to Tony Shea, the founder of Zappos, and, and his, uh, in his book, Delivering Happiness. He talks about choosing which poker table you sit at, and you don't want to sit down with a bunch of professional poker players if you're out in Vegas for a weekend. You want to find a poker table that you're going to sit down and you're going to win at. So finding the right level, it's always, it's always good to level up and be around people that will challenge you and push you. But you don't want to be so far over the tips of your skis that you're just going to crash. And, and understanding what's best for you, that's more art than science. But also at the same time, if you hang around people that are overly complacent, Sometimes, and even in my life, you have to do a bit of a friendship. And it doesn't mean you can't talk to these people or invite them to your holiday parties. But you do have to choose. You get to choose the environment that you are putting yourself around in. And it's not that it's a bad environment, but it may not be the productive, compatible environment for being successful with some of your dreams. 
So understanding that and then modifying it appropriately and making concessions. You have to make those tough choices about what you're going to do. And for a lot of young people, it might be less time playing video games, less time at the bar, less time um, doing something that's extracurricular and, and, and breaking out that time. And ultimately, time is, is the number one variable that, and number one asset that I think people can uh, make those changes. And uh, there's a lot of studies talking about people getting up early and, and starting the day a little earlier to get their day going. And you know, whatever it is that meets for you, that's what I always turn back to is you have to, you have to choose who you're going to be around. You got to choose how you're going to manage your time and manage your day. And if, and if you really want to get to that goal, you got to make those, those tough choices to get there. Otherwise evaluate it and then try something different. You got to be happy. And even if you say I was interested in doing something, but I'm not going to do it, that's okay. You just got to be uh, honest with yourself and carry on. Love it. Love it. Um, usually our, our, we end with some, some motivational uh, words and encouragement. And I think that's exactly what you did. Um, speaking about you have to make the sacrifice uh, with my dream big club. We're, we're looking for the inspiration and the motivation, but along with that, it comes with the ability for, for people to, to sacrifice and to be able to, to really push out their best foot forward uh, to make sure that they can do it. Um, one last word of encouragement, Jake, when it comes to staying motivated, when it comes to being very inspirational, what would you like to end with? I think that you have the ability to pursue whatever you want to pursue. That's what makes America great. That's what our country was built on. And that's what makes us the most innovative country in the world is you have the ability to do what you want to do. So the only person that can stop you from that is yourself. So you're going to make the choices and you got to do what's right for you. And I would just say that if you believe that you can go after this worthy ideal, you will go succeed that. It won't be the path you probably are thinking it's going to be. It won't be as fast or as, as easy as you think it's going to be, but you will get there. You just have to choose what you're willing to give up to, uh, to go obtain your success. There you have it. Thank you, Jake Siegel. Dream big and never stop dreaming. But remember, dreams without action are just dreams and often lead to disappointment. So let's get to work. And thank you for listening to My Dream Big Club's podcast. Please leave a review and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whichever podcast app you have. I'm your host, Sean Phillips. Take care.